1: Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Hi, everybody. Chuck here on a lovely Saturday morning. Got my cup of hot tea. I'm looking out the window at a blue sky. The birds are chirping. It's August 26, 2015, as far as your selects mind goes. And today we're going to talk about droughts because California is in the midst of a bad one. And we talk about that and more in this episode, How Droughts Work.
3: Welcome to Stuff You Should Know, a production of iHeartRadio.
0: Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark with Charles W. Chuck Bryant and Jerry the chair stir <laughs> making copies <laughs> uh and this is stuff you should know that was a classic skit wouldn't you say mm-hmm. and
2: one of the only ones i liked by that guy by rob schneider yeah i wasn't the biggest fan
0: uh did you see At- the one where sting was there he's like sting no. <laughs> sting ling ding ding dong making copies yeah it was funny
2: I mean, I'm not anti-Rob Schneider, <laughs> but I just wasn't like...
0: How could you be anti-Rob Schneider, yeah. honestly? Nobody. It's like being mad at like a friendly horse or something. Yeah, exactly. Look at that
2: stupid friendly horse.
0: Yeah. I, I hate his guts. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what a weird intro. Yeah, well, par for the course, pretty much, my friend. Well, although his career has dried up. <laughs> oh. <laughs>
2: That was good and vicious. Man, I hope he doesn't listen.
0: Uh, Before we get into the whole drying up reference, Chuck, we are long, long, long overdue for giving a huge shout out to our Kiva team. Yeah, that's right. Uh,
2: Several years ago, it feels like many years ago, we did a podcast on micro-lending, and we said, hey, let's start a Kiva team. Kiva is an international lending organization, micro-lending, where they... Uh, pair you with people, uh, actually, they it's all over the world now, who, yeah. ne- who need money on a small basis. Uh, you loan them the money, you can get paid back and pull your money back out, or you can reloan it. And uh-huh. we have a very active team, and let's hear some numbers.
0: Okay, so um, our Team Captain Glenn of Glenn and Sonia Team Captain Fame yeah. <laughs> sent us some stats recently. We have the Stuff You Should Know team has 8,453 members Great. That, As as of July 31st. Yeah. Um, how much have we loaned so far? Are you ready for this? We need a drum roll. Jerry, can we put in some sort of drum roll effect or a Wilhelm scream or something like that? (laughs) (laughs) All right. Okay, that's nice.
2: That's very good. Here we go. $3,251,025, dude. I
0: know. That is crazy. Yep. And that's out of 117,539 loans which is a total of 13.9 loans per member. I don't know how people are doing like 9 tenths of a loan, but that's impressive in and of itself.
2: Yeah, it's what that means is people get repaid and they
0: just kind of do what I think we do is just kind of roll that into another loan. Yeah, you reloan it. They make great gifts. I think uh, at least one person sent you a Kiva gift card to congratulate yeah. you and Emily on uh, Ruby Rose.
2: That's right. And uh, that's always a nice thing you can do at holiday times or birthdays.
0: Yep, or just and whenever. It's not too late to join. Like we're not like, "Oh, you're new to the team." Like it's a very supportive, great team. And again, like you said, very active. You can go to kiva.org slash teams, I believe it's plural, slash stuff you should know. Or just search stuff you should know on kiva.org, and yeah. it will bring up our team, and you can join and be embraced by our teammates. That's right. Yeah.
2: So thanks to Glenn and Sonia, as always, for uh, nudging us in the right direction and keeping up with the stats. Yeah, really. Big help. And,
0: um and congratulations to our team on getting the three point two five million dollars and change in loans. Absolutely. Okay, so droughts, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Rob
2: Schneider, <laughs> Kiva, his... droughts. Right. The natural progression of things. Don't forget Sting was in there. No, oh, that's true. Um. All right. Let's talk droughts.
0: <laughs> They're serious thing. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, <laughs> it's it's natural disaster is what it is. It is. Although, so Robert Lamb wrote this article that that forms the basis of this in part.
2: Yeah, Robert of uh, Stuff to Blow Your Mind, award-winning mm-hmm. Stuff to Blow Your Mind. Yeah,
0: yeah, they won an award. Congratulations. Um, the He points out that droughts are fairly natural. There is a lot of debate over whether climate change exacerbates droughts. Sure, um, But for the most part, droughts are natural, they're seasonal, they're temporal, they come and go. Or in some cases, they just stay. And then you got a desert. And it's, it, it becomes a natural disaster when you apply humanity to it. Kind of like, do you remember those overhead projectors? Sure. And they would have transparencies, so there could be like different, they could overlay oh, yeah. stuff. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. so you have drought transparency, uh-huh. and it's just whatever, but then you overlay humanity on it, yeah. and then it becomes a natural disaster.
2: Yeah, I thought that was a pretty good point, actually, when, uh, that Robert made. Um, in and of itself, if there were no humans... There would be a drought. Um, The land would dry up in certain regions. Animals would leave because there's no water.
0: But it's like, who cares? They're not humans.
2: (laughs) Uh, Vegetation would die, or the few animals that could stay would stay, and the few plants that could still grow would grow. Right. And then that would just be the new ecosystem.
0: Right, and then... No big whoop. Potentially, if it wasn't permanent, it would shift back, and the, the, the life would come back to the area. That's right. But again, humans like you said, wouldn't give a big whoop if it wasn't for humans living everywhere. Sure. Growing crops everywhere. Yeah. And using tons and tons of water. That's right. Mostly to grow those crops. So we've talked about this again and again. But um, 90%, what I saw, the most recent stat I came across, was 92% of the global supply of fresh water Mm -hmm. is used to irrigate crops. Wow. And 50% of that, only half, is reused, is captured and reused. Wow. So that means we lose a lot of water to agriculture. Yeah. And agriculture is kind of leaky, you could put it that way. Um, And the fact that we try to grow crops everywhere and use a bunch of the fresh water creates this kind of uh, vicious cycle that exacerbates droughts or at the very least um, makes our reliance on a climate to not be droughty Really, yeah. really, really, um, really important. Yes. I just put a lot of words together, and there's sense in there somewhere. No, it t- makes total sense. Like, just go back and listen to that last <laughs> sentence a few times, everybody, and it'll finally come through. Uh, it is
2: serious business, though, and very sad and devastating. Uh, between fifty and 100,000 people uh, died in 2011 in East Africa with their drought. And right here in the U.S., we have suffered through... Uh, Some pretty rough drought here in the last 50 years. Um, In 2012, they said it was the worst conditions in 50 years in corn production. Uh, You you put a dent in corn production, that's going to put a dent in the world markets. Well, yeah. It's a big deal.
0: America runs on corn. Well, in the world. Forget Dunkin' Donuts. (laughs) Even Dunkin' Donuts have corn in them.
2: Uh, The world, to a certain degree, runs on America's corn, too. Yep. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, and when um, something like corn, as we'll see, agriculture gets hit by drought, obviously. And when it gets hit by drought, because of the globalized marketplace that we live in today, uh, when food prices go up, some of the poorer countries get priced out of the market, sure. and they see things like food riots and starvation and all sorts of bad stuff. So droughts have like terrible effects. Yeah, it's a snowball effect. And it seems like I don't I don't know if it's getting worse, and if it is getting worse, worse if it's anthropogenic or whatever. But there, for okay, Texas in 2011, Texas had the driest year since 1895, which happened to be the year it started. Um, recording this kind of stuff. Right. So it's it's the driest year on record for Texas. 2013, California had the driest year on record thanks to the ridiculously resilient ridge. Yeah. Um, And Australia went through what's called the Millennium Drought from 1997 to 2009. They had a terrible drought. They actually, like some places like Melbourne, actually um, figured out how to live in drought conditions and survive and actually keep going pretty well and a lot of people are studying what melbourne did because they did it so well
2: that's because australians are resourceful and smart people
0: very resourceful you know but not smart and smart okay (laughs) (laughs) i wasn't saying anything i'm just kidding i was Uh, just rubbing my eye i got distracted
2: so, uh, well, we even here in Georgia, we had a, a pretty wicked drought. Uh, what I was that, remember
0: like two or three years ago? Do you remember the governor, like, led a prayer circle praying for rain?
2: And it rained. Did it rain? It did rain.
0: and uh, I don't remember that part.
2: No, it rained, and there was a lot of hullabaloo because they were like, well, he, he led the prayer circle on the day where they called for, like, 90% chance of oh, rain. Oh, yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> did so, it rain uh, while they were praying? Because that would be kind of cool. That would be kind of cool. I don't think that's what happened, though.
2: Um, but I do remember that. Yeah, and hey, was, man,
0: there's nothing wrong with that. Pray for rain, do your rain dance. There was talk of war between Georgia and Tennessee. Yeah. And Tennessee said, "We have guns."
2: Yeah, and Georgia said, "We have guns."
0: We have guns too. Yeah. And, and Josh uh, and I, there's a tense standoff. Yeah,
2: and we left and went to New York City, <laughs>
0: where well, there are no guns. <laughs> we had something on the books already. <laughs>
2: uh, so let's talk the basics of drought. Um, Drought is obviously when it doesn't rain enough to sustain uh, the ecosystem like it should. It's um, basically you're losing water through evaporation, which is when water vaporizes, mm-hmm. or transpiration when water moves, you know, through the soil and through the, the plants and then leaves and is not so useful to us.
0: Right. So you're losing water faster faster than it's being replenished.
2: Yep, yeah, that is a drought.
0: And again, this is this is all viewed through the lens of humanity. Like water isn't lost when it goes through the soil. Sure. It it, it is to us. That's great. Until we get it out of an aquifer that's being replenished. That's right. Um, But it's not necessarily lost unless you really look at it through the human lens.
2: Right. Uh, And there are many, many factors that go into uh, whether or not a drought occurs and how long it lasts. Mm -hmm. Um, Here are a few immediate causes. Uh, One is... Uh, high pressure zones. Um, Sinking air means you get a high pressure zone, which means you have clear skies and uh, warmer temperatures. And if that stalls over a region, then um, more water is going to evaporate. So that is going to exacerbate the problem.
0: That's like the ridiculously resilient ridge over California. Um, From I think 2013 to 2014, it was just this high pressure zone that just said I'm sticking around here for a while, yeah and not only was it uh, did it lead to like high temperatures and low humidity because it's a high pressure zone, um, it also blocked tropical cyclones that normally are brought to California by the westerlies. yeah it just shot them up toward the Arctic or down toward Mexico, and California, for two different reasons, didn't get precipitation and is still in a pickle yeah. as a
2: result. Well, usually when you have a prolonged drought, you can point to a number of factors, like the ironically, a perfect storm that causes no storm. Right. You or know what Obama. I mean? <laughs> uh, another reason is um, air pollution. Uh, there's a decade-long study completed, I think in 2013, um, from the University of Maryland, uh, go Terps, uh, and they found that air, air particulate, which uh, is pollution, dust, soot, sulfates, Um, produces more uh, intense storms in wet areas or it leads to more intense storms in wet areas and uh, reduces rain in drier areas. So it basically just, uh, again, exacerbates whatever is normally going on there.
0: It creates weather extremes. Creates weather extremes. That's a great way to say it. That's weird, though, because so particulate matter... Uh, yeah, I'm trying to figure this out. So with the the they don't know
2: the mechanism is uncertain at uh, this okay. point. So there is no answer if that was your question.
0: I'm abandoning <laughs> figuring it out. Then
2: uh, and then here in the southeast, uh, one cause is wind blowing inward from the ocean is usually a good thing because that brings in uh, from the Atlantic on the eastern seaboard brings in warm, humid temperatures and uh, in the summertime. And if they shift or weaken then they're going to bring in less moisture and less rainfall. And I think that is what happened, uh, was a wind shift. And uh, whenever it was, we had our drought. When was that? Was that 2012,
0: mm-hmm. 2011? It may have been. Something like that around then.
2: Yeah. I mean, it, it was fairly severe. Um, I just remember all the lakes were way down. And they. Um, I don't think we got to the point where they were uh, had forced rationing. But they were... Advising everyone and asking everyone to be better stewards.
0: With oh, their water. it was a big deal. Was, yeah. Everybody was really nervous. I yeah. think the 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 lake where Atlanta gets its fresh water was down like twelve feet or something like that. Yeah, it was serious stuff. No good. Um, did you you talked about like like changes in um, in different areas? From did you t- did you mention La Nina or El Nino? Not yet. Do you remember that Chris Farley? when he was el nino back in oh, the yeah. 90s he's uh. like i am el nino which means the nino in spanish
2: <laughs> so you know what that is i sort of remember that that there's a documentary out about him now which i'm eager
0: to see oh yeah i haven't checked that out i yet. forgot about that i want to see that as well yeah. um so el nino is actually um named for little baby jesus did you know that
2: I did not know that.
0: Yeah, back in the 1600s, Spanish fishermen um, off the coast of Mexico um, named it El Nino because it was this weird arrival of really warm water in December, in the winter months. So they're like, oh, well, obviously it's the Christ child. So they named it uh, El Nino. And that is when there's warmer than average water temperatures uh, in the tropics around, like basically off the coast of Mexico right yeah and those warm the air and create wetter than uh, average conditions in some parts of the US and other parts of the world and drier than average conditions in the other parts that's right and then there's the the reverse of that la nina that's right and that's colder than average temperatures so those places that normally get wetter than normal and drier than normal are flip-flopped but either way you get extreme weather events like floods and droughts from this, and they aren't exactly certain what creates this, just that they're pretty sure it's natural.
2: <laughs> yeah, well, actually, they do have a decent idea. Um In, okay. in 2003, something happened, which uh, the same thing happened in the 1950s when we suffered a pretty bad drought in the U.S. Uh, there, were, there were two ocean cycles that basically flip-flopped. Uh, the Pacific uh, Decadal Oscillation mm-hmm. and the Atlantic Multi Decadal Oscillation. Sure. And these things flip uh, back and forth, basically over time, and they cause either more rain or less rain. And uh, the PDO is what causes the shift in those surface ocean temperatures.
0: The what? What causes the shift?
2: The Pacific Decadal Oscillation.
0: Okay. So, but what caused these things to flip flop?
2: Well, they they just flip flop periodically over over time, basically. Weird. Um
0: I don't buy that though. Like something makes those things flip flop.
2: Well, yeah, maybe so. I don't know. I mean That's what I I want answers. Some people <laughs> probably say that's just the cycle of nature.
0: I guess so. That's a cop out.
2: But they say that every twenty to thirty years, uh this is gonna happen. And when you combine them with uh with other factors, is it basically gives everything a boost is
0: And that's what creates El Nino or La Nina?
2: Yeah, that's what they think. It's more like it works in concert with El Nino and La Nina. Ah. So these things have happened at the same time, which is the reason California is in such a drought right now. Wow. So you have the warm PDO plus El Nino means it's going to be wetter and cooler. Uh, PDO plus La Nina equals drier. And uh, La Nina is influenced by the trade winds basically blowing on top of the water. I think you already said that. Right. It just like circulates that water, and the deep water comes up to the surface. Yes.
0: Chili. Yeah. From chili, or it's chili water? Chili water. Gotcha. So, um, Chuck, there's different categories. Or people love to categorize stuff, right? Oh, yeah. And um, there's actually different categories of the categories for droughts. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was kind of interesting. <laughs> it's a little bit of a brain buster. Yeah. But um, you can kind of subdivide the categories for droughts into... Um, geographical or seasonal descriptions yeah, and then descriptions of drought severity. Yeah. Right? So with a geographical or seasonal description, it's kind of like here's an area and this is the kind of drought conditions you can expect. Yes. So there is a permanent drought, which is basically what you think of with the desert. It's a place that gets a, a minimal amount of precipitation and it never – catches up to the um, amount of uh, evaporation or transpiration. That's right. Right? So that's just it's just always dry there. Permanent drought. It's an arid climate. Arid climate. Uh, and then next you have seasonal drought, which is like uh, drought comes, dry conditions come on a, a predictable um, calendar.
2: Yeah, like the dry season or the wet season mm-hmm. in, a, in a country. Right. Uh, those two are pretty standard. Um, no big surprises there. Uh, but the next couple— um,
0: You almost said no big whoop again, did you? I almost
2: did. You saw that. <laughs>
0: My mouth went,
2: whoa. <laughs> uh, unpredictable drought is when there are irregular dry spells uh, where it's usually humid or rainy. Um, and then invisible drought, I'd never heard of that. I think that's fascinating. That's when it is raining, and you think, how can we be in a drought because it's raining? It just means it's it's too hot, probably, and it's not raining enough because too much evaporation and transpiration is going on. Right. So it's invisible to the naked eye.
0: It's like being skinny fat to where like you're thin on the outside, but your liver's got a ton of fat all over it.
2: Oh, I thought you were going to talk about the people that have like really thin faces, but from the neck down they have weight. No. I hate those people.
0: Oh, Chuck, you were going to get some mail for that.
2: <laughs> no, I hate those people. I'm jealous of those people because I have a big fat face. Like there's no picture I can take. I could show my legs or my arms and people would say, what a thin guy. <laughs> you know? I think you look great. But everything from my nose to my waist gives me away. I'm going to do that. I'm going to start posting pictures of my legs and my arms.
0: Okay. Like Danny yeah.
2: DeVito, he always does the troll foot. I still have a inside. nice small tiny butt too. Uh, we've all
0: noticed. I'm going to take pictures of that too. It's the talk of the <laughs> office. Um, You're no, going to post pictures of yourself?
2: Everyone's body is fine. I'm not body shaming. All right? That's good. Uh, what I'm saying is I'm jealous of people with thin faces.
0: I got gotcha. you. All right. So we got, we got one category down. Yes. Which describes like a region, an area. Yes. Although invisible drought doesn't really fit into that, but whatevs. Sure. Okay. Um, the next group of categories, um, man, I sound like we're, we're using an overhead projector. This is this dry. I like it. It's appropriately dry for the <laughs> drought episode. Well, you have to go through these, you know, it's part of it. Okay, so the other, these, these uh, categories make sense to me. They describe, like, the severity of a drought, right? Yes. And you can pretty much go from one to the other, and it makes sense. So, like, a meteorological drought. It basically says that, you know, this week, uh, this, this time last year, we had about an inch and a half more rain than we got this year so far. No big whoop. No big <laughs> whoop. Yeah. Basically, my brother-in-law also named Josh, Uh uh, would notice this kind of thing because he's a little bit of a weather bug. Yeah, I I like weather bugs. Okay, well, you would like Josh. Mm -hmm. And he's one of the few things, few people besides, like, maybe a meteorologist who would notice this, which is why it's called the meteorological drought. That's right. Like, you would have to be really paying attention to even notice this. That's right. Okay, that's stage one.
2: Yes, stage two uh, is an agricultural drought, and that is when you're talking about crops, and agriculture is going to be one of the first industries or parts of the uh, world affected by drought. Obviously, mm-hmm. so this is when farmers are starting to notice. Yeah, you might hear a news blurb or two if there had been drought in the news, but it still hasn't. Like you're not walking around the streets talking about
0: it yet. No, just farmers and Josh are speaking to one another about <laughs> the drought. That's right. Uh, what's next, Josh? The hydrological drought. This is when like we start to notice.
2: And that's when you're like, hey, man, I went to my lake house this weekend, and it's all ugly. It's got, like, clay, red, muddy junk everywhere.
0: I can see the submerged buildings. (laughs) (laughs) The underwater cities are visible. Like in Lake Lanier, you know, there's a town down there. Oh, yeah? Yeah, you didn't know that? I don't think so. There is a town down there, and when Lake Lanier gets low enough... You can see it? You can see a Gulf 76 sign sticking up out of the lake. Wow. Yeah, like the old... Like, ball one that's orange with the blue 76? Yeah, what was the town? Mm-hmm. Like, some part of Buford or something, I guess. Yeah. Interesting. You didn't know there's a town in under Lake Lanier? No, I didn't. Isn't that Creepsville? Mm, I don't know about creepy. Oh, it's creepy. I think it's
2: cool. I mean, if there were people living down there with gills, that would be <laughs> creepy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, the point is, Chuck, that uh, we notice, the people with gills notice, everybody <laughs> starts to notice the hydrological drought. It's like the talk of the town. Sure. Um, and then the next step is where it gets really, really bad, socioeconomic drought. This is when the government tends to step in and say, uh, you who have odd number um, addresses can water on Tuesdays, Thursdays. Those of you with even addresses can water on Monday, Wednesdays. Or it could flip-flop. It depends on your local government. True. <laughs> Isn't that set in stone? Right, but the point is, is um, there are now restrictions taking place. There are now things being enforced. There, are people are are being asked to cut back. Yeah, and and the reason why is because there, you're, we're seeing a real effect, like through the economy.
2: Yeah, like uh, Robert points out, something I've re- never really thought of: uh, tourism, of course, is going to dry up with the water in some places. Yeah, uh, food shortages, um, shipping may be uh, affected, uh, imports and exports, and and less developed parts of the world, that can be really bad. Here in the U.S., it may just mean uh, socioeconomic annoyance, but in other parts of the world, it could lead to political unrest and uh, armed conflict and panic and disease and like really, really bad stuff. Right. So that's socioeconomic drought. And uh, let's take a break and let's talk a little bit about uh, other effects of drought in the Dust Bowl right after this. No. Stuff you should
4: know.
5: Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. So I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to the big take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I
4: never thought I'd take my three young kids to Sicily to solve a century old mystery. But that's what I'm doing in my new podcast, The Sicilian Inheritance. Join us as we travel thousands of miles on the beautiful and crazy island of Sicily, as I trace my roots back through a mystery for the ages and untangle clues within my family's origin story, which has morphed like a game of telephone through the generations. Was our family matriarch killed in a land deal gone wrong? Or was it by the Sicilian mafia? A lover's quarrel? Or was she? as my father believed, a witch. Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: So, Chuck, we kind of just gave some overview of, like, how drought, works or how bad it can get. That's right. So what causes this? I mean, we talked about weather being a factor obviously. There's not a lot we can do with that. You know, we have we have our uh how weather modification works episode that we did yeah. and a TV show based on that too. Oh yeah. A TV episode. Um but not everybody agrees that say like cloud seeding works. Some people say it really really works. Other people say it doesn't really work. Yeah, we talked
2: about cloud seeding a couple of times, I think it's been used um, to effect during wartime to wash out uh, uh, trails, supposedly.
0: Yeah, in, in Vietnam. Vietnam, right? Uh, that's what they say, but why? I don't know. Everyone's not convinced. So, when it comes to things like El Nino or La Nina, as it stands now at our primitive technological place in human history, there's not much we can do about that. Um, the The most we can hope to do is really kind of figure out what causes drought in other ways and see if we can do anything about that. And the the, um, person in the hot seat or the thing in the hot seat as far as that goes right now is climate change. There's a big debate over um, whether we can do anything about drought conditions through climate change. And all that has to do with CO2, supposedly.
2: Yeah, well, uh, between um, the last five decades, between 1950 and 2000, were the warmest in 600 years uh, in the United States, temperature-wise. And um, I'm sorry, I think that's globally. But in the yeah. U.S. and the Southwest, they are predicting a rise um, as much as 9 degrees by the year 2100. Yep. Um, and that is accompanied by the two degree, 2 degree, 1.4 degree rise over the past 100 years.
0: So what they think is that as more and more CO2 enters the atmosphere, this rise in temperature that it creates from this greenhouse effect um, will actually create drought-like conditions. And one of the ways that it will create drought-like conditions is by creating high-pressure areas, which, remember, don't have um, a lot of humidity. They have high temperatures. They're dry conditions. And they also, um, simultaneously, um, this denser air... And dense air above it, right, or warmer air above it, prevents the air below it from rising, right? Because that's how winds and and, um, uh, currents, air currents, are formed. Warm air near the tropics rises and replaces the cooler air to create this cycle, right? That's right. Well, if the air above it is equally warm, the air below can't rise. And when you have a lot of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, that air in the middle, I think in the mesosphere, Mm -hmm. um, stays warm. So you've got a big chunk of the atmosphere just hanging out around the Earth's surface. And when that upwelling doesn't happen, you don't have that upwelling action that also creates thunderstorms and generates large amounts of torrential rain, which really helps things when you have droughts. So they think, and this is all just a, a conjecture at this point, yeah. but that's the, the big explanation for how climate change can lead to drought-like conditions, and that if we can reduce the, the amount of CO2 in the atmosphere, we can conceivably reverse those drought-like conditions.
2: Well, and don't they think that climate change just in general causes more severe everything? Like it, more like severe extreme, storms and yeah. extreme flooding. Right. And uh, So, I mean, it's definitely something to consider. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> Try to tiptoe around this one. Because there is a debate.
0: Not really. No? No. It's basically fraudulent whether there's a debate over whether climate change is real. Okay. That climate change is real. Like almost all scientific consensus is landed on- So where's on the
2: debate? That it's a human caused or not and whether we can do anything about it? Or is there no debate about any of that?
0: No, there's debate still, but it's not real debate. Like the scientific community is generally in, in agreement that there is climate change- And that it is a real problem. Right. Um, I don't know what the consensus is on whether we could do anything about it. I think probably most people would say we should at least try. It's worth trying. Sure. Why wouldn't you? Well, a lot of people say you shouldn't because it will affect, like, it'll hamper economic progress, or or say, for example, like China. Um, Say the U.S. is like, oh, hey, we're laying off of uh, greenhouse gas emitting stuff, and we're getting a little greener. You guys should, too. And China would say, well, you guys kind of got to this point by spitting a ton of CO2 into the atmosphere. It's China's time. Yeah. Go sit over there and be as green as you want. Leave us alone. Right. There's a lot of political uh, landmines to, to traipse around sure. um, in, in getting everybody on board to reducing the, the climate footprint or the carbon footprint of humanity.
2: Yeah, what, what riles me is when uh, you see, uh, usually on social media, when someone says, you know, in the wintertime, like, it's the coldest winter I've seen in years, you know, so much for global warming. <laughs> yeah. Warming? Warning? Warming. A warning. How about that? Ooh. Maybe they should change the name.
0: Is that a Freudian slip? <laughs> uh,
2: but there is a great video that uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson <laughs> does. Um, you can find it on YouTube about the difference between weather and climate, because those are two entirely different things. Yeah. And uh, he does this little thing on the beach with a dog that's great. And it, it, that Neil deGrasse Tyson way.
0: With his shirt mostly unbuttoned <laughs> yes, and everything. Yeah, well, he's
2: on the beach, of course. Sure. Uh, he's got on his clam diggers, you know. and yeah. his, his Hawaiian shirt's unbuttoned. and
0: He's a cool cat.
2: He is a cool cat. But he, um, yeah, he, he explains it very simply, the uh, the difference between weather and climate. So before you go say something dumb, like it's super cold on in June so there's no global warming, Mm -hmm. just go watch that video. That's my recommendation.
0: And uh, I want to recommend a book called Merchants of Doubt right now I'm reading. And it's about how um, the tobacco industry, climate change, denial, all this stuff, Mm -hmm. um, is largely the result of PR. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah. It is a very interesting book, actually. And I think there's a documentary based on it that just came out, too, if you don't like reading. Who does? I do.
2: (laughs) I do. Um, Robert points out too in this article, uh, predicting drought isn't really something you can do necessarily. Um, you can predict seasonal droughts a month or so out and you can, I guess you can predict certain conditions that like right now they're saying that California is probably in trouble for the next 20 to 30 years. Yeah. Like, I don't think they see an end in sight because of the various climate factors going on. Yeah. Uh, it's not like. I mean, any rain w- would help, but it's not like a, a rainy few weeks here and there is going to make much of an impact.
0: Right. It's pretty scary out there. Well, that's one reason why they're studying, for example, Melbourne, Australia, or Melbourne, right. Victoria, Australia. I'm not quite sure how you say it properly. <laughs> um, but under this drought, this millennium drought, Melbourne dropped their water usage by like 50% under drought conditions, they did it through, like, local recycling programs. Uh, Apparently, one really effective program was electronic billboards that said, like, the shared reservoir is at, like, 25% of capacity right now. Oh, wow. Like, here's what's, don't forget what's going to happen if we all run out of water. So, like, recycle your water, use uh, gray water to water your plants, that kind of stuff. Um, And it worked really, really well. They should just do d- uh, dumb infographics for Americans as like
2: the water getting lower and then like dead people at the bottom. <laughs> like, <laughs> right. Here's where we're headed. Do, does it make sense to you now? Right. Person watering your lawn in, be like, in Los
0: Angeles? It. There's a lot of dead people in our reservoir. Yeah. Buried at the bottom.
2: <laughs> I think I too read uh, a little bit about the L.A. drought or Southern California in general that they're, they're not making enough headway with their conservation me- uh, measures right now. Like, it's not putting much of a dent into it.
0: Uh, Like, their public campaigns? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, selfish people still
2: watering their stuff.
0: Well, it's the law of the commons. Like, uh, supposedly, uh, any shared resource, people are just like, let everybody else conserve. I'll be... I'll be fine. Just, right. just give me everything I need. This little bit doesn't make a difference. Yeah, and they were the, this this article, I think it was a Scientific American article that I was reading about Melbourne being so successful. One of the ways they were being so successful was taking this shared resource, this reservoir, mm-hmm. and saying, like, all of us share this, and it's down to this level. Yeah. So are you going to be the jerk who, like, makes it drop even more by taking more than your yeah. fair share? Um, Don't be the, the
2: jerk. That should be their campaign. right. right.
0: One of the problems is is California doesn't just have a just a single shared reservoir. They get their water from a a number of different sources. Big state. Yeah. Um, So that's kind of that. That would be tough to like hit that same note with California.
2: Yeah, but as goes California, as goes the U.S. economies. I think uh, some estimates say California is the eighth largest economy in the world. Yeah. State of California.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah,
2: I've heard that before. Dire consequences, potentially.
0: So let's take one more break, Chuck, and then uh, when we come back, we're going to talk about dire consequences indeed from the 1930s in the United States. That's a- right. A.k.a. the Dust Bowl. No, Stuff you
4: should know, Stuff you should know.
3: Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I never thought
4: I'd take my three young kids to Sicily to solve a century-old mystery, but that's what I'm doing in my new podcast, The Sicilian Inheritance. Join us as we travel thousands of miles on the beautiful and crazy island of Sicily, as I trace my roots back through a mystery for the ages and untangle clues within my family's origin story, which has morphed like a game of telephone through the generations. Was our family matriarch killed in a land deal gone wrong? Or was it by the Sicilian Mafia? A lover's quarrel? Or was she, as my father believed, a witch? Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: So I teased the Dust Bowl in the beginning, Mm -hmm. and then we didn't get to it, but now we're getting to it. This is just like TV. And I became a little, uh, oh, I know, just keeping people on the hook. Yep. Uh, I became super interested. uh, When I was in Oklahoma recently, uh, I went to the Woody Guthrie Museum in Tulsa, which is great, by the way, Mm -hmm. and they had a whole section on the Dust Bowl, and I didn't know much about it. I mean, I knew generally it was a drought uh, and dusty, but I hadn't... (laughs) uh, Looked into it too much, and since then I've studied on it some and watched the great Ken Burns documentary on the Dust Bowl.
0: That was very good. You know those parts of that um, appear in uh, Interstellar. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Were there clips of that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't remember. I kind but of it, fell asleep. They, they play it like it's people. Really? You yeah. didn't like Interstellar? No, not really. Oh, I love that movie. Yeah. Love it. I yeah. thought that was such a great movie. Yeah, You I really of... didn't like it, huh?
2: I had a lot of problems with it. I loved it my my biggest problem with it was uh just just do the let the the viewer figure out the movie like i felt like every 10 minutes somebody was
0: explaining something you are talking you're thinking full, of inception same guy same problem i don't think so man i didn't run into that you know how much i hated that part in inception when you watch
2: interstellar again just make a little note anytime someone explains what's going on and you'll have like 20 times written down on your little notepad huh.
0: I guess it didn't bother me in this one. It bothered me. And it's not like I have anything against Ellen Page in particular. Oh, sure you do. You, you're you a Juno hater. <laughs> <I'm just laughs> that has nothing to do with Ellen Page. <laughs> no, I'm just joking anyway. I uh, No, I just, for some reason, it didn't stick out to me in Interstellar. I just thoroughly enjoyed that movie. Well, good. I'm glad you did. So, I don't want
2: to rain on your parade.
0: Anyway, the, parts of the Ken Burns documentary show up in Interstellar, but it's great in, uh-huh. just on its own. Oh, yeah. Um and the reason we bring up the the dust bowl is because it's actually it's larger than just a drought. People tend to think of it as a drought, but it's actually um one of the one of the it, it demonstrates things you can do to prevent drought from becoming the worst case scenario, which yeah. is exactly what happened with the Dust Bowl.
2: Yeah, it was it was one of the worst natural disasters in the United States history, for sure.
0: Yeah, and it was just one natural disaster compounding another and another and another. And, and what happened actually starts in the 19th century, when America was undergoing its westward expansion. Yep. And um, the U.S. government passed the Homestead Acts, and these... Um, Gave land grants to Western settlers mm-hmm. um, who wanted to set up farms of between 160 and then later on 320 acres, which sounds like a lot. Yeah, but they're actually not when you start thinking about these massive states like Oklahoma and Texas and Kansas and all of this. Um, and so, what happened was eventually the these plain states, the semi-arid grassland. Was carved up into a huge patchwork of smaller farms. Yeah. And um, people started farming and things started going really well. The land became productive very quickly.
2: Yeah. And, and at first, things, um, they were farming somewhat sustainably. You know, they still mm-hmm. had grasses and still had cattle grazing on these grasses, right. which is all good stuff. And uh, these
0: are these are native grasses that were drought-resistant oh, yeah. already. They were acclimated to this, again, semi-arid climate.
2: That's right. So let's flash forward or fast forward a bit um, to post-World War I in the 1920s. Um, there was a recession, and farmers all of a sudden said, you know what? We can get these new uh, machines mm-hmm. and use these new mechanized farming techniques to— uh, try and make more money and turn some of this
0: grass into wheat. Yeah, because I mean, if you if you have like a hoe, right, and you're just hacking away at this semi-arid ground, yeah, you're going to be like, I've got 320 acres, but I'm just going to farm 20 of them, right? Because this is a lot of work. Yeah, you know. Um, but if you can go buy a plow and some oxen, and the, later on a tractor to drag those plows, mm-hmm. um, you can turn all 320 acres into productive cropland.
2: Yeah, and so they overproduce wheat.
0: Yeah, there was a, there was a bumper crop year in uh, 1930, was it? Or 1931, 31. Yeah. where so many farmers bought so many plows and used these mechanized methods of farming that there was a bumper crop of wheat so much so that the price of wheat plummeted. And it just so happened that there was a recession, like you said, at the same time. Yeah. So there was an oversupply of wheat and an under demand for it because everybody was broke. That's right, and so everybody said, "Well, what do you do? You just start, plant more wheat, <laughs> plant more wheat, <laughs> yeah,
2: basically, expand your farms so uh to try and turn a profit and so all of a sudden, all these drought resistant grasses were no more uh there was wheat everywhere, and apparently wheat does not jibe um that quantity of wheat doesn't right. jibe with the natural landscape uh and the soil became dusty and dry right. And uh, you couple that with a drought, which hit hard over the period of like three years, and high winds, and everything blew away.
0: Yes, so 100 million acres of topsoil ended up blowing away. Like, just blew away. It wasn't there any longer. All that was left was the rocky subsoil. Like, blew to... The East Coast. Yes, um, some of it blew to California, depending yeah. on where the winds blew. Some blew all the way to Washington D.C., which actually proved to be fortuitous because that got Congress's attention. And um, these things were called black blizzards. And there's man, you seen the footage? Th- it's just it's amazing, unbelievable. You when these huge, towering clouds of black dust were just coming toward these t- what looked like these tiny little miniature houses. Yeah. Um, It doesn't look real. No, it doesn't. But this really happened on the Great Plains in the '30s. Yeah, we're talking
2: 150,000 square miles over uh, Oklahoma or parts of Oklahoma, Texas, Kansas, Colorado, and New Mexico. Yeah, and uh, the drought itself was from 34 to 37, and 60 percent, 60 percent of the population left.
0: Yeah. A lot of them moved to California. California wasn't very happy.
2: A lot of them left their farms and right. were just broke, basically.
0: They were um, like the first generation to find themselves underwater. Yeah. Because a lot of them, again, remember, like the, there was this, this drive um, to make more money by producing more wheat, yeah. even though there was an overabundance of wheat. Um, So they really uh, over leveraged themselves by borrowing more for farm equipment and farm hands and farm supplies. And um, when the bottom fell out on the wheat market, they were overextended and their homes and farms got foreclosed on. Yeah. So they like all these people who were just at one like just a little while back were farming middle-class people mm-hmm. were now like um, homeless yeah. and, and on um, Route 66 and basically doing the Grapes of Wrath thing.
2: Yeah. I mean, like you said, a lot of them moved west, uh, and I think you said that California was not so happy with that. About 10% of them ended up in California, and um, it was not a great time for the country as a whole, so they they didn't want all these new people. They, they called them Okies, even right. though about 20% were from Oklahoma, uh they'd want them coming in there trying to get their jobs
0: yeah uh, and it was it was bad news yep. all the way around in california so um in actually what's a pretty good pretty good example of the federal government doing something really really right um, they stepped in actually fdr stepped in with the new deal yeah um and created a lot of measures that tried to alleviate the worst effects of the dust bowl And one of the things that they did really, really well was create the Soil Conservation Service.
2: Yeah, that was in 1935. And basically, uh, strict instructions to farmers to uh, plant grass, plant trees, how to plow, how to terrace, Mm -hmm. um, how to hold rainwater, how to portion off your farmland um, and not just grow wheat over every square inch of it.
0: Right, yeah. Leave some land to be fallow and regenerate after um, one year of production or a couple years of production. Yep. Um, and one of the other big pushes that's still going on these days is no-till farming. Yeah. One of the big problems that they that they did w- with – by knocking out these these grasslands was first they got rid of the native grasses that were good at holding the topsoil in place. Yeah. But then they actually tilled the topsoil and loosened the whole structure of everything so it was easy to blow away when these strong winds came in. Um, and apparently topsoil takes something like, I, I've seen in a few places, 500 years to produce one inch of new topsoil. Wow. So once it blew away, it wasn't coming back. Yeah. Um, and I'm not quite sure how they've replenished it since then. I mean, I know that these soil conservation measures are helping, but, I mean, is it just grassland that's growing on subsoil still for the next couple hundred years? I don't know.
2: You know, I, I know that somebody out there knows that, though. Well, please let Some farmer. Know. I do know that um, they said by the early 1940s, much of that uh, land had been rehabilitated. Um, and not only did the government step in and, and still install – install? Mm-hmm a lot of new laws and measures, but they also bought a lot of land. Um, right, to take al- it
0: out of production.
2: Yeah, about 11 million acres just to, you know, keep it uh, grassy and stable. Right. Um, and the New Deal brought, it wasn't just the Soil Conservation Service. Um, the We won't get into all these, but the Works uh, Progress Administration was created. Uh, the uh, I think the SCS is now the Natural Resources Conservation Service. Yeah. Uh, and they just, you know, they really stepped in and, Said we can't let this happen again. Even though in the 1950s there was another bad drought, but I think the, measures, the 70s. Yeah, the measure. That, yeah, I remember in the 70s. Mm-hmm. That's why we have skateboarding. Oh yeah, that's right. I mean not completely, but right. That's when they went to the swimming pools because they were empty in California. Yeah, but thanks to those measures things in the 50s and 70s didn't reach the levels that they did in the 1930s.
0: And um, I read this really great article called Rethinking the Dust Bowl, and I can't remember where it's from, but it's posted on the podcast page for this episode on our site. Yeah, Um, And it was basically saying like this was a really good example of the government stepping in, taking really good measures, um, because ultimately what created the Dust Bowl was parceling out the Great Plains into these small farms. Mm -hmm. If you're a small farmer taking soil conservation measures is not economically beneficial to you. You're not going to see a lot of the benefits and it's going to be very expensive, right? And if you're just a small farmer, it doesn't matter. Your farm doesn't matter. But if you put a bunch of small farms together yeah. and no one's taking soil conservation measures, then what you have, as far as a, from an ecological standpoint, is one gigantic farm yeah. with no soil conservation measures. And that's what set up the Great Plains for the Dust Bowl. The federal government came in and said, You guys are small farmers. You don't have to be big farmers, but we're going to put a bunch of you together to form what's called a soil conservation district. Yeah. And we're going to say, if you plant these trees for windbreaks and you do these other soil conservation techniques, we're going to subsidize your farms. Yeah. And it worked really well. And a lot of small farmers got these subsidies and the Great Plains was saved. Hooray, right? But then the same article was like, this is also a really good example of how the federal government doesn't work because as smaller and smaller farms were bought by bigger and bigger farms and consolidated into like big agra, these subsidies are still available for these farms and farming companies that would have carried out these measures anyway because they would directly benefit from the money that they put into it. They're still getting government subsidies from it. So it was like, it worked really well at first. Now it's not working anymore. It's just kind of a waste of money.
2: They should have had a stipulation in there, though, that like uh, farms of certain size or something. I don't know. Shoulda. Shoulda, coulda,
0: woulda. <laughs> I found that really interesting. I, I can totally. totally get why you suggested this Dust Bowl drought episode.
2: Yeah, it's uh, good stuff. We've had a lot of um, asks for this one
0: lately. So, You got anything else? No, sir. Well, if you want to know anything else about the Dust Bowl and droughts and that kind of stuff, go to How Stuff Works, type those words into the search bar, and it will bring all this up. Uh, and since I said search bar, it's time for listener mail.
2: Uh, I'm going to call this uh, Batty Email from a bat,
0: bat guy. Okay.
2: Um, hey guys, I'm a bat biologist specializing in threatened and endangered species in the eastern U.S. It was a great episode, and you nailed it, especially the section on echolocation. I'll add that while most insectivorous, insectivorous bats do catch their prey while on the wing, um, some have specialized to flutter slowly and their echolocations are so sensitive and high-pitched and their hearing so sensitive that the bats can glean insects from vegetation in the darkness. Wow. This could be in response to stealthy moths that have learned to sense bat echolocation and evade. Round and round goes the predator-prey arms race. Uh, one uh, clarification though is regarding the effect of white-nose syndrome. You said in the podcast that the itch is what wakes the bats from hibernation. It's more that the bat's immune system is ramped up by the late-stage fungal uh, infection and their metabolic requirements are beyond what they have prepared for. Uh, The damaged wing membranes are especially susceptible to evaporate water loss, and most hibernation-interrupted bats are thought to die of lack of water rather than lack of food. Uh, Additionally, new studies indicate that the clinical signs are in stages of the disease and that the chemical imbalances cause internal damage before the visible fungal hyphae do. Uh, one mechanism for this is chronic respiratory acidosis caused by increased dissolved CO2 levels in the blood. Wow. Man. I told you he was a bat biologist. He's a bat guy. Uh, I listen to you guys every day uh, and have taken SYSK out into the woods on bat surveys more than once. Uh, thanks for the I podcast. I knew we'd
0: been on a bat survey before. <laughs> I did, too.
2: Uh, it's a great balancing act of fact and BS of to each their own and holding humanity to a higher standard. You guys consistently hit it out of the park. Man, that is nice. That is from Jason Whittle. Thanks, Jason. In uh, my wife's hometown of Akron, Ohio. Nice. And, uh, and
0: where LeBron lives, too.
2: That's right. And you know what? We actually got our episode shared by... Um, Oh
0: boy, now I can't think of it. The the, the Bat Society. It's uh, the Bat Society of America or the World Bat Society cuz I can't remember get along.
2: which one. But one of the larger bat organizations shared our podcast and was
0: uh, said we did a great job. So I thought that was cool. Oh man, that's awesome. Well, thank you. Thanks to the Bat Society. Thanks to Jason it was, right? Jason Whittle. Um, And if you want to be cool like Jason and send us a really interesting email full of tons of facts, you can do that. You can tweet to us, too, at SYSK Podcast. You can join us on Facebook.com slash stuff You can send us that email to StuffPodcast at HowStuffWorks.com. And in the meantime, you can hang out at our super cool home on the web, StuffYouShouldKnow.com.
3: Stuff You Should Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts, My Heart Radio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.
1: Something that makes me crazy is when people say, Well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes that it's not a waste, that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots
3: and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin,
5: And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
4: The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford